Hello and welcome back for another off-season edition of the Weekside Podcast. I'm Jenny Vrentis. I'm here with Connor Orr. And it's a Monday in March, but we got a little bit of news this morning broken by the player himself. J.J. Watt posted a photo wearing Cardinals gear. It followed evidently some kind of mistaken Peloton identity. I sort of missed that whole part of the saga, Connor, but we saw the outcome. J.J. Watt is headed to the Cardinals and big news for for a Monday in March. Yeah, well, so J.J. Watt said he's going to the Cardinals, but our uh, our great uh, former editor, Drew Van Esselstyn, always said three sources on this, so I'm waiting. Uh, yes, J.J. Watt said you're going to the Cardinals, but who knows? You know, I'm, I'm just kidding. But um, You need to confirm it with others. That's right. Got to confirm it first. Um, but yeah, the Peloton thing, very, uh, very 2021 of us to already be sucked into a mysterious internet Peloton bio. J.J. Watt fed into that by posting a bunch of cryptic clues and messages about mitochondria leading to uh, us to the inevitable conclusion that, of course, he's going to Arizona. I would have thought some sort of rustic uh, Midwestern outpost. I don't know about you, Jenny. Maybe somewhere in Wisconsin or, I don't know, the, the, the windswept Midwest. I spent a good 10 minutes last week figuring out how people got buffalo out of the mitochondria host. <laughs> and I, the best I could tell is that there's some mitochondria research center located in buffalo i couldn't really find any other tie i thought um i have no idea what rabbit holes people were going down to come to that conclusion but it has come to a conclusion itself and so let's just dive into that that's our first news topic connor despite a multitude of rumors linking jj watt to as connor said some rustic midwestern outposts the defensive end signed with the cardinals monday marking the second time in as many years that arizona got a great texans player for next to nothing let's discuss i i just think it's interesting to me that if you're the cardinals you liked jj watt enough to you didn't wait to see who else was getting on the market you didn't wait to see what other GMs were going to pay certain guys what. Like, you know, maybe the market really is depressed this offseason and you're going to be able to get a good deal. You cut the line and you got J.J. Watt because you thought he was that good. And if you're Houston, now all of a sudden, you know, you got rid of DeAndre Hopkins for next to nothing. And then because of all the poor goodwill ill will you created, you almost had to release J.J. Watt to look to save face. But... Clearly, it looks like you missed out on a good trade opportunity because if the Cardinals liked him enough to jump the line and sign him at a time when nobody is signing players because they don't know what the market's going to look like, I would assume that they would have been able to trade him as well. Yeah, it seems like there should have been some kind of trade market for Watt. He obviously had a conversation with the organization where they came to a decision to release him. Clearly, there's been a lot going on with the Texans. It would be interesting to see if a part of that conversation was, let's have a peaceful divorce. We can't handle any more noise circulating around the Texans of their own making, I would say. But perhaps that was part of the conversation. We will release you um, and, you know, make it a happy divorce, uh, so to speak. And now he's on to his next destination that kind of scenario wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think there was some surprise. People were thinking, well, if he's leaving the Texans, he wants to go to a join a team where he could have a chance to win a Super Bowl immediately. 
Um, and the Cardinals don't really look like that. I, they had a very up and down roller coaster season. They certainly don't look like a team that, you know, adding JJ Watt would immediately make them a top contender at the top of their conference. But it's probably fair to expect that Watt had a lot of reasons for wanting to leave Houston. And you can say you want to go to a winner, but maybe you just want a fresh start somewhere else too. Yeah, it'll be nice. He'll get to play the Texans. It'll be the, maybe you call it the Easter Bee Bowl. This at some point this year, the Texans and the Cardinals do face off. But um, I'm wondering if uh, it's one of those things where, I don't know, if you're if you're J.J. Watt, do you see this as an ascending franchise? I mean, you know, and, and do you have some sort of assurance that, yes, I mean, they're not going to do anything funny with Chandler Jones, that maybe they'll bring Hassan Reddick back, that they're going to, surround you with those kind of guys so that you can continue to assume that sort of Swiss army knife role where you get to seek out advantageous matchups. You get to rush from different places. Like I wonder how much negotiation there was back and forth here. And, you know, the, maybe some of the, some of the really deep finite reasons for this, because it would seem like there was some interest. And like you said, maybe some, a clear path to a championship elsewhere. Yeah. And the Cardinals paid him, pretty heartily it seems uh, the early reports have indicated that his 31 year 31 million contract over two years included 23 million guaranteed which is a significant sum so it's also possible that the cardinals were offering more money or potentially significantly more money than some of the contenders that might have been more appealing from a win now perspective do you think that I don't know. I think it's nice that the Cardinals are essentially Texans West at this point and that there is a little bit of a, I mean, Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson are different, of course, but that there is a little bit of a case study in, you know, you know, DeAndre Hopkins had one of the best years of his career last year in Arizona, um, generated more first downs than all but one player in the NFL. Travis Kelsey had a, a career high in receptions. Um, and so there is a case study on like, you know, exactly how good these players are that they're giving away. And I do like the fact that like they're both on one team so we can keep uh, tabs on on exactly how poor this has been going for Houston. Yeah. And Chandler Jones posted some of his messages to Watt before signing. And it's fair to assume that DeAndre Hopkins likely played a role in recruiting his old teammates to Houston. So that or to Arizona, excuse me. So that certainly adds another layer of intrigue to this this whole scenario. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's jump to uh, topic number two. We have more movement uh, of the fascinating sense. Russell Wilson wants to be traded or at least listened to more than he is now. So um, his agent actually uh, told Adam Schefter, confirmed a pro football talk, there are four teams that he would accept a trade to even though he was not asked for it. Nice little bit of uh, legalese there. Do we think the Seahawks would actually cave and deal him or is this just the new normal? A lot of high profile preening at its finest. Well, I think the conversation around Russell Wilson's future has reached an interesting point. I think now it doesn't seem impossible that he and the Seahawks are headed for a divorce. And this is the farthest along that has gotten, right? I mean, there's been, okay, through his time with the Seahawks, there's been a lot of chatter about this or that. But this is the first time where it at least seems like a possibility that he could be playing somewhere else. It might not be the most likely option. Maybe they just need to to sit down and talk things through. He's certainly 
exerting his influence as a Super Bowl winning quarterback at this point in time. And we'll see where that leads. But I think it's certainly potential. There is potential for him to be playing elsewhere, which in itself seems like a big development. It's interesting. Some of my former colleagues at the Around the NFL podcast made the joke that like, yes, I mean, this would be enticing for any other team, save for the Seahawks, who don't like first round picks anyway. I mean, that like it would be like, yeah, we could give you three first round picks, but the Seahawks will just trade back anyway. And they don't care. They don't use first round picks. They, they almost never have since Russell Wilson was since Russell Wilson has been under center. And so it's like one of those teams where the idea of, you know, this long term rebuild, I don't think is very appealing. They have a coach who's 70 years old. Uh, you know, they've they've been into the depths of the postseason before. They haven't been back to the Super Bowl since that Marshawn Lynch game. But you have to imagine that Russell Wilson is the closest avenue to that and now it it seems like a matter of just sort of artfully pacifying him because nothing that he's doing right now is on accident Russell Wilson's a very calculated person and this seems like a very calculated offseason in terms of trying to get out there and get what he wants I will say that some of the teams floated by his agent to ESPN as potential destinations didn't make a ton of sense. Among them, the Bears, Connor. What did you think of that thrown into the list? That was a little bit of a shock to me. It's... I mean, if you're going to threaten a, uh, if you're going to threaten somebody with a better destination, I don't know that Chicago is exactly where you'd like to go. Um, and and Dallas, you know, I, th- all these things just didn't make much sense to me. Um, I guess you're just surveying the market and you're looking at all the teams who might have a, a need or an opening at the quarterback position. Dallas too, I guess. If you're not going to bring back Dak Prescott and you'd like a a, a more of a sure thing even though I think Dak Prescott's just as good of a quarterback but Chicago is especially weird and I don't love that place at all if I'm a free agent quarterback because <laughs> Wait, hold on <laughs> we don't mean to have slander towards Chicago my parents were born or my mother was born in Chicago I, I love, love Chicago I love the city. city of Chicago just like to clarify my the- parents lived there together my dad taught at IIT my mom was born there she went to IIT went to Northwestern so big Chicago people you know but uh, I didn't know your mom went to Northwestern for grad school. She went to IIT for undergrad and Northwestern for grad school. Go Cats. Um, so, yeah, no, I love Chicago. Had the best hamburger I've ever had in my life in Chicago. Um, and Chicago hot dogs are great. Love all that. Um, the situation scares me because you have a head coach and a GM who need to make the playoffs this year in order to remain in their positions. And that always leads to very dangerous and irresponsible in the moment decisions that, you know, like the Bucks, you could win the Super Bowl or like the Giants, you could be out of commission for three years while you're, uh, you know, digging all the uh, all the dead spots off of your roster and, and trying to start over again. And I think that, you know, Chicago is probably the latter, right? I mean, you know, you signed Robert Quinn to like a $70 million deal that was really hard to get out of and got no production out of it last year. So that's the kind of team that you'd be going to. And, it, you know, if you're Seattle, it's like, OK, um, yeah, go ahead. You know, and, and and I might even do that deal, assuming that that pick is actually going to probably be decently high. I don't know. Yeah, I I agree with you. But um, yeah, I, th- I think the most likely scenario is he's back in Seattle, but it doesn't seem outside of the realm of possibility he could play somewhere else. But yeah, the Bears would not be at the top of a lot of quarterbacks lists, I don't think at this point in time. 
if you had to put out your, and we'll get to this a little <laughs> bit later, um, but if you had to put out your own, like, so Jenny's the number one, you know, you're, you know, you, you've won a Super Bowl. Your legacy is secure, as it is as a writer. Um, but um, your legacy is secure. Um, everybody uh, wants Jenny on their team. Um, you know, you're you're Deshaun Watson. You're Russell Wilson, and you have to leak out a destinations list. Um, wh- what are you leaking out? Wh- where do you want to go? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say first, though, Connor, if you are Wilson, you're probably not thinking that your legacy is secure. I mean, he's had a great career to this point. Uh, but he's only won one Super Bowl. And it's crazy to say it in that way because even winning one Super Bowl is an amazing accomplishment. But he's also playing in the same era with somebody who's won seven. So I think for every quarterback, they want to go at a place where they can contend to win multiple. Like, that's what's put out there as possible and they see it being done and they want that opportunity. And so I think... Brady going to the Bucks. we've discussed this on the show, you know, it kind of sets this path for a lot of guys who are like, hey, I could leave, I could go somewhere else that's ready-made for a championship. Maybe I should consider that. With that in mind, his list, yeah, I don't know. His agent told ESPN, Cowboys, Saints, Raiders, and Bears. Uh, a lot of those teams wouldn't be on my list. I mean, I think if you were going to pick destinations that would scare your current team you would want to name someone in the division. And then you might just throw in New England because Mm -hmm. even though they had a down year this year, that may ultimately prove to be a blip on the radar. It certainly doesn't mean that everything they've done over the last 20 years was dependent on Brady or didn't matter. So that would be my list. Someone else in the division and the Patriots. Patriots is uh, is the ultimate like first photo that you post with a new like with a new partner on Instagram kind of deal like that is like the the ultimate scary like oh no you know what is that t- internet thing like that you versus the guy she were you she told you not to worry about that's Bill Belichick right there right right but here's I have one weird question if you're Russell Wilson is there an element at all of this where like almost like you're a kid, right? And I'm not I'm not calling him immature. He's he's a very mature person. But sometimes you don't like to hear about things that are the best for you. And if you read the, uh, if we read the athletic report um, that kind of detailed some of the headbutting in that meeting that spurned the trade uh, interest in the first place, one of the big things was I want to run the ball uh, less. I want to throw the ball more. And so they hired Shane Waldron, who was Sean McVay's passing game coordinator, to be their offensive coordinator. That would seem like something that was done to pacify Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. They hired his old quarterbacks coach um, when he won the Super Bowl. That would seem to be something that was done uh, to pacify Russell Wilson. But third, like, don't you think that some of the insistence on running, yes. Uh, d- you know, is it old? Is it not an exciting brand of football? Sure. But don't you think that that has helped prolong your career a little bit? Like, you know, you still became a prolific passer. You're still a top five guy. But don't you think that that brand of football in some way, shape or form is probably helping you a prolong your career? I think B, it's coming around again. If you look at like the 49ers, the Titans, all these teams, the Falcons just hired a a guy to do the same thing. The Packers where running first might end up being the next big thing because of all the you know all teams are getting smaller and faster and everything like that i'm just wondering like is this really something you want to push away as much as possible i'm, I'm not sure 
Yeah, I agree with that, Connor. I think that's a really smart assessment because ultimately you want to have whatever game plan in any given week works. And so whatever the run-pass balance is that week, the most important thing would be what works best against your opponent. I mean, that's how the Patriots have been so successful. They have these very game plan specific game plans. So saying that you're going into a season with an offensive identity where you want to run less, I don't think that's this. I, I could see how that would not sit well with the coaches. Let me say it that way. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I'm interested to see where this goes. Um, I, I think that quarterback movement has its advantages, and I, I think it's certainly empowering, and I think it's good for anybody to want to go wherever they want to go. Um, but like anything else, there might be some guys who end up forcing their way out of a situation that really is ideal for them. And I do think that Seattle is a good place um, for Russell Wilson, certainly better than Chicago, um, uh, the team, not the city, as we established. This <laughs> I was is, just uh... teasing. I had to take that <laughs> opening. <laughs> All right, what do we have for number three? No one has been franchise tagged yet as the league's GMs and coaches survey the landscape with a depleted cap. Do we think it's only a matter of time or will this year see fewer tags than most years? I don't know, right? It it would seem like just basic math. You wouldn't want to devote a high-end one-year salary to a player when you have less money, right? I, I don't know. Or is that too simplistic of a way to look at it? No, that makes sense. I guess what will be interesting is how many teams use the tag as a means to an end of continuing to negotiate a a long-term contract with a guy um, and how many will actually end up playing on the tag this year. I mean, Dax seems like a good candidate. Again, you have the potential of Godwin or Barrett in Tampa Bay, one of the two. It's a difficult decision for the Bucks. Allen Robinson in Chicago. And there's, you know, a lot of other ones do the Lions tag and try to trade Kenny Galladay. Um, do the Broncos tag Justin Simmons again to try to get to a long-term extension? Panthers, Taylor Moten. So there's a lot of potential options. But I think you're right, Connor, as, as teams try to prepare for and, and work around some of the constraints regarding the salary cap this year, maybe it does make sense that fewer guys are tagged or at least end up playing on the tag. Yeah, I I just think, too. I, I I remember when we were covering maybe maybe when we were covering the Jets. There was like a year where there was some sort of funny business going on with the cap, and there was like a wave of players who did take one year prove it deals. Like I remember that being like a trend. Perhaps something I, I think that you might have written about at the paper, if I'm not mistaken, where it was like a, a, a string of one-year prove-it deals, and then guys were going to try to cash in and then get paid in that next year when you know the market opened up a little bit. And you know maybe we see something similar where the tag doesn't feel as ominous this year because you're making a nice chunk of change, and then you're getting back onto the market next year when the cap rises and you have a little bit more money uh, to uh, milk teams for. Yeah, that that could. That could make sense, Connor. I think the Bucks decision is one of the more interesting ones, the Chris Godwin versus Barrett decision. How do you think that works out? I think that you you probably tag Chris Godwin, right? And then yeah. you um you try to work out some sort of funny business with um with Barrett. Unless um you know, it's interesting, you know, if you look at the receiver market, maybe not a lot of these guys are going to get paid and the market's not going to be bananas anyway. And so maybe Godwin accepts 
a, a deal like to your liking and, and you don't need to tag him. But I think mm-hmm. that I would be more apt to try to just get one more year out of Godwin, assuming that Brady is only going to play one more year. And then you try to line everything up that way. And then Barrett, you know, he's a little bit older. So you probably try to work something out on that way. Like, you know, I don't know if you, you try to do like a, a shorter term deal and then get, and then sell it to him as you can get back into free agency at your, at your third, at age 30. And, and maybe that's attractive to him. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I, I, I I think Godwin to me feels like a more important piece of the puzzle. And then maybe you can, uh, you know, figure out a way to get another good pass rusher in the draft or something. I don't know. That's a tough one, though, because the pass rush essentially won you the Super Bowl, too. Right. No, that's true. That would be the way that that I would lean as well. Uh, Maybe Brady plays two more years. Who knows? But it sounds like Arian's only plans right right now, at least to coach one more year. Um, And also you know, tagging Barrett would be more cost prohibitive than Godwin. So I agree with you on that one. I think that's the direction they go, but they've got a lot of, uh, it's, it's better to be making these free agents decisions coming off a Super Bowl in the sense that a lot of guys want to come back and contend with Tom another year. I mean, you always hear about the mass exodus of guys off teams after winning a Super Bowl. But in this case, it's like, hey, we won one. We had the stream team. We thought next year was going to be our year. So, like, let's come back and make next year our year again. I wonder how many more, like, playoff Lennies there are going to be. Like, is is Tampa Bay, like, the center of the free agent sporting universe now where, like, everybody just c- comes there um, and, and learns to win the Tom Brady way? Like, a, <laughs> they, like there's got to be, like, 10 more castaways now that are going to go down there, right, and find themselves in Tampa Bay. Does That only makes sense, right? Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see some of those kind of moves where guys kind of have a revitalization or a chance to contribute in a key spot despite a lower profile role all year. I agree, Connor. I think that'll be an interesting, I mean, it's just an interesting team building situation when you have a quarterback at that age and you don't know exactly how many more years he'll play. If you're Jason Light, though, you probably, this is off topic, but you probably don't care anymore, right? Like, and I'm not saying you don't care about your job, but, you know, you did it. The Mm -hmm. experiment paid off. And if this thing blows up, you know that you have the leeway to tear it all back down again, right? Like this I is, think that's you know, true. It's just a whatever at this point, you know? Yeah. I mean, he he was on the hot seat. Um, it wasn't assured that he would still be the GM in, in 2020. Um, and then, you know, they get Brady and they go on this, you know, he puts together a team that wins the championship. So... I think it is a different situation for light than it was a year ago. Yeah, very interesting. Um, all right, Jenny. So Russell Wilson wants out. Deshaun Watson wants out. And who knows who else wants to leave their current home and play quarterback elsewhere. This week on the Weak Side Pod, we're here to offer some advice <laughs> on how to force your way out of town the right way. Quarterbacks of the NFL, be sure to like and subscribe for more helpful info such as this. And Deshaun, Russell, we're at weaksidepod at gmail.com if you'd like uh, some private consultation or um, especially for the two of you guys, just leave a rating and review and then ask your questions in the comment section so that way we kind of we get two birds with one stone there and uh, and we help out uh, everybody. Yeah, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. A, a <laughs> review would really mean a lot. Thank you. But I mean, this is your wheelhouse, Connor. You've created these handbooks for... NFL employees in difficult situations. A head coach whose season is starting to slide away, and this might be his last chance. 
and now a quarterback who maybe wants to plot his way out of town. So, I mean, I have some ideas, but I think that you, this is your thing. So I don't want to encroach on that. Well, I'll, I'll lead us off by saying that I think that the most important thing to do, um, and we've talked a little bit about this, but you have to begin the trail of breadcrumbs. You have to start leaving the breadcrumbs somewhere, right? And so that that goes back to Twitter and Instagram, and that just means not even commenting, but just liking cryptic posts, right? Uh, from like, you know, Bucks fan, X9, Pirate Dave, or whatever, you know, uh, like, a, like a poorly Photoshopped picture of you in a different uniform, you know, and just liking it. And not making any comments, not bringing it to anybody's attention, but just starting to leave the trail of breadcrumbs out there. I think that's a very crucial first step. Yes, the sly likes, Connor. Yeah, I don't know. What do you What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that's good. You gotta You gotta leave those breadcrumbs so people can look back and say, "Wow, this person was thinking about this as far back as." you know, X, X months ago. I think that's important. Um, I mean, of course, the social media, um, making your social media team neutral. So as we saw mm. Deshaun Watson being an athlete, not a player for the Houston Texans, no references to the team. I think that's a crucial component of it. And I think you have to decide if and when you say anything. So this is interesting, right? Because we saw Russell Wilson. Did he go into the Dan Patrick show planning to say that? I don't, it didn't appear that way. It looked like he was deciding if he should answer the question honestly. And ultimately it came out. Deshaun Watson has spoken out on wanting the team to go in a better direction at the end of last season, but you know, he, he did have some comments at his end of the season press conference, but nothing specifically about wanting to play elsewhere. So when does he play that card, if at all? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just, uh, it's such a fascinating thing to me. Like, there has to be a day when you wake up and you say, okay, like I'm putting the wheels in motion here. I am hitting the eject button on this. And, you know, you did such a great job covering the Le'Veon Bell situation. I remember when we uh, fell in love with the monocle emoji and Le'Veon did such a good job wielding that as part of his power to force his way uh, into free agency. But it's like this playbook just fascinates me. And I think that you're right. The revealing interview, the tell-all interview that is just like blasted onto the NFL news cycle on like a, a tired Monday where there's nothing going on. It, it's such a good it's such a good mechanism like you know everybody's just sitting around you know maybe it's like the day after valentine's day like the only thing in the news is like a golden globes preview and then all of a sudden you just drill it with like yep russell wilson wants to get traded to the cowboys baby and then you know you're not only on the the news but you're on apple news you know everybody's talking about it you also have to research some song lyrics this has mm. been in deshaun watson's wheelhouse so He's tweeted out some song lyrics that could be interpreted as being about his current situation. But at the end of the day, you could also say they're just song lyrics. So you really have to research those. Come up with some that you're ready to put out there uh, if needed. You could go a lot of different directions with this. But something about, you know, being in a bad romance or, you know, <laughs> pining for a new lover or, you know, a new partner or something along those lines or something about chaos. Uh, 
you know, lots of options here. Jenny, this is just proof that we as a species have not evolved from the away message phenomenon oh, of man. our youth, you know? I know, I know. That's the, that's the thing. It's like if you, there that's was nothing point. worse. There was no, and you know, well, there is a lot of things worse, but I would say that as a, as a kid, and, and maybe this formulates the baseline anxiety that I deal with now, but like there was nothing more nerve wracking than going on to uh, AOL at that time and seeing maybe a significant other with an away message up with charged lyrics, you know, that like, you know, <laughs> you felt were directly related to maybe a fight that you were having um, interest in uh another person uh and man and then you know they were gone they were away and so no matter how many times you pinged them you just got the away message back and there was no communication and just a very difficult situation you know and that's what players can do now to other teams which is interesting this is a great insight connor really subtweets are essentially just your aol profile (laughs) it's the same thing like, that's exactly the same thing. Like, how many times would you put something up hoping someone would read it and realize they did something wrong <laughs> or, like, <laughs> sending a subtle message? The other thing you have to do in this situation is consult a real estate agent or have, mm. if you happen to be in a relationship, have your partner do it. So maybe mm. it's, like, under the radar at first, but then some someone catches wind. That's another big part of the process. That maybe was you like- put, list the house, Yeah. That was a great, um, I think the Wall Street Journal did that story where, um, you know, basically anytime Nick Saban has been somewhere, um, you know, all the boosters would keep an eye on Terry uh, looking at houses like that was like the nail in the coffin, like when he was at Michigan State, and then she started looking at houses in New Orleans, they knew it was over or, you know, when she was in New Orleans, you know, and and so on and so on. And, uh, you know, oh, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. That's, That's a really solid one. Back to the away message thing, though, for one minute, uh, because it goes even deeper than that, right? Uh, taking your team off of your profile is like uh, oh, it's, is like, it's like messing pro- yeah. with the marital status. You know what I'm saying? Like on on the AOL profile. I mean, it really, gosh, it is perfect, isn't it? Well, yeah, because like in your, you'd have the away message, but you'd also have the AOL profile. And did you ever have that, like, there was a way to check people's profile or, like, to track who was checking your profile? Did you ever, like, use that? No. I for sure did. Um, <laughs> I mean, you have to get as much data as possible. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, like, you would put something in that. You would sh- clearly change something. It's a great place to change a status or change, you know, something that used to be prominent in your profile, and you could switch it out. I remember, like... uh I mean, this is, you know, whatever, eighth grade or whatever, but like you could just track uh, a failing romance by the uh, evolution of the marital status in the bio. First, it was like, you know, 50 hearts and then your name and then 50 more hearts. And then it was like 25 hearts and then it was like four hearts. And then what <laughs> this is not a this is not a joke. Then one time it, it devolved to Connor's a great guy. And then, and then and then it ended and then I got dumped. So it went wow. from like it went from like many hearts to half the hearts to ha- like it kept like having um, and uh, you know I mean I guess they knew that I was the kind of person who would keep checking on something like that you know. So note to quarterbacks everywhere. Wow. Yeah. You know. 
that's the way to do it. That's Gosh, it but done. you're right. We're just perpetually stuck in the same place. It's it's a different medium. It's maybe Instagram or Twitter, but it's really the same thing as an AOL profile. Well, this is funny. I mean, you know, we're, Deshaun is is not is much younger than us, uh, and he came up came through another era. But I think there's something biologically uh, that AOL tapped into that we're never going to get rid of. I, I just think that that's uh, that's part of our lives now, forever. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that he did that set up the tweet about I was on a two, now a 10, which ended up being a song lyric, but that same line was used by someone in his camp as an anonymous source like the week before. So (laughs) it was clearly more than a song lyric because it had been put out there the week before. So really, you just gotta, you gotta pull in all the people. I mean, Taylor Swift has set a great model for this. She always leaves these breadcrumbs and clues and Mm. kind of sets up these scavenger hunts to to search for these hidden Easter eggs. So if you're in this situation, you've got to pull in the people around you and, and make it a fun game. I mean, I think JJ Watt poked fun at this a little bit with his mitochondria tweet and things like that. But like the real best part is the people who execute it really well and do have people's head spinning. Like I wouldn't be surprised if like that Peloton user was like set up by JJ Watt to like add wow. to the intrigue, right? Isn't that next level? It might've happened. It is, but you know what I've found, and uh, I'm curious if you think the same thing, that the more that we cover these guys and the more uh, kind of stories are written about their maniacal preparation and all that, the more giant chunks of free time we are finding in that schedule you know it's just like oh he gets up at 4 a.m every morning and works out and then there's like a six hour window to make a fake peloton profile in there you know while they're eating these great prepared breakfasts and all this stuff like i think that a lot of these guys still might have a little bit too much time on their hands i mean i think we all can find time on our hands to (laughs) participates in some ruse i would agree with that as busy um as busy as i've been that has never stopped me from doing one of my favorite things which is occasionally sending uh and this is something that i learned from a, a beloved former coworker. um uh, occasionally sending a fake ap news brief to our uh, group chat uh, and uh, trying to just alarm anybody in a position uh, of an editor's job uh, just to let them know that, you know, something may be afoot. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's just, it's something that you got to do every once in a while just to make you, make you feel alive, you know? Yeah, I love it, Connor. But yeah, I mean, I think at, at a certain point, the ruse crosses a line where you can't go back. And Watson is at that point, but Wilson is not yet. So we'll see where they go from here, I guess is the takeaway. Indeed. Um, All right. So we have the uh, Oracle coming up here. And uh, man, after getting beat up pretty good, um, and thank you to everyone who uh, wrote in in support um, and just kind of confirming me as your Oracle, despite the fact that this was a rough season. Um, Every Oracle goes through uh, different changes and, you know, maybe the planets uh, aligning and, you know, who knows? I mean, it could have just been a rough year, but I'm going to try to start a new. with I think an interesting one for this week and it relates to the Deshaun Watson situation Um, we heard the great John McClain the general kind of uh, inferring that the Jets might be involved here and Quinn and Williams and both of their first round picks and John is the kind of guy who doesn't really write something about the Texans like that unless uh, it might have been discussed so that's worth noting but my oracle prediction for this week is that 
a, another team that is not on anybody's lists get, starts to get involved. Like a team that we think has a quarterback or we think likes their quarterback or is content with their quarterback and all of a sudden really sort of blows the doors open on this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I, I'm just spitballing here, but like the Giants start getting thrown around or like, uh, you know, a weird team like that that we don't expect at all to dip their toes into the water all of a sudden busts in and it's not even like they become an interesting part of it. They become a major like 2008 Phillies mystery team part of this entire deal. I love that, Connor. I remember with the Namdi Asamoa pursuit, it was the same thing. The Jets were in it, obviously, and so we were covering that at the time. And the Cowboys were in it, but then there was a mystery team and that team ended up being the Eagles and they signed him. Now, looking back, it doesn't seem like the seismic move that it felt like at the time because the Jets' entire free agency process was held up for Namdi Asimov. And I still remember someone in the building telling me, waiting for Jesus, when I checked in on the free, <laughs> free agency status, uh, aka Namdi, which was hilarious in retrospect. Um, but yeah, there's the dark horse is always a, a good bet. So I like this, Connor. I think that's true. And because the reality is, with quarterback pursuits, a lot of times if you have a guy that you sort of like, these things are really kept close to the vest and wouldn't be out there until it's about to happen. And so that does make a lot of sense where maybe if you don't think you can pull it off, you're not going to put it out there to tick off your current quarterback. We saw that with, again, not to bring up the Jets, but with Peyton Manning and Sanchez, right? So um, they kind of dipped their toe in the Peyton Manning pursuit. It didn't work out. And so they were, you know, moving forward with Sanchez, but you always kind of have to then do some work on the, on the back end to make things up with the quarterback a little bit. Yeah, no, I like it. I, uh, I, I think, um, God, the Namdi Asimov thing was like, have you been that on the edge of your seat since then? Like that to me felt like the, our, our like golden window free agency, you know? Yeah, I do. Uh, I remember that very well because it was coming out of the lockout and so all of the free agency was happening in that like week-long period in August and we just didn't know and 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 that was why things kind of got hung up for Namdi because everything was really compressed it was a strange year um but yeah that was us you know they were choosing between Santonio Holmes and Braylon Edwards and they were chasing Namdi and you know lots of things were going on yeah well you know who who, who would have thought it turned out the way it did, huh? You know? Gotta love the Jets 2000, <laughs> of 2009, 2010. All right. Uh, time now for everybody's favorite moment, the heart and soul of the Weak Side podcast, the Ventus Consensus. What do you have for us this week? Consensus. So the NFL put out its diversity, equity, and inclusion report for February 2021, looking at hiring trends in the league. Uh, Troy Vincent is works in charge of this. He's the head of football operations and the report comes out of football operations. And there were a lot of interesting takeaways in there. One stat that really stuck out, stood out to me, Connor was the number of interviews until a candidate got a head coach opportunity. So they compared the fewest number of interviews until a coach was hired to be a head coach for, for, uh, minority candidate versus a white candidate. And so for the minority candidates, 
the least number of interviews for head coaches hired from 2015 to 2020 to get a head coaching job, it was five, Anthony Glenn and Brian Flores. And there were several white candidates who only needed one or two interviews to get their first opportunity as a head coach. So if you look at the list, Doug Peterson, one, Cliff Kingsbury, one, Joe Judge, one, Ben McAdoo, two, Matt LaFleur, two, versus Anthony Lynn, five, Brian Flores, five, Steve Wilkes, six, Vance Joseph, seven, and Todd Bowles, 12. Um, So from head coaches hired from this period, 2015 to 2020, Bulls had by far the most interviews until first hire of all coaches. So I thought that was a really interesting statistic because that to me, more than anything else, really reflects the unconscious bias in the hiring process because you're showing how much longer it takes for candidates of color to get their first opportunity to be a head coach. They have to go through the hiring cycle multiple times, be in front of multiple teams, whereas many white candidates, they are hired for the first job they interview for. It's so crazy how, like, we all love sports because it's a supposed meritocracy, right? Like, that is, like, back to, like, gladiator times, that's the reason why it became like such a break from for society like it was this one thing that like was absolved from uh, daily politics right it was like who is better than another person and it still blows my mind that the nfl like the nfl like the most popular sport in america is just like so steeped in this like ceo bias uh, thing that the rest of the country is is steeped in like the, these backwards hiring practices this buddy system i mean the whole thing is just insane and so many teams are just shooting themselves in the foot and you know god i mean how many times do you have to watch the super bowl to realize that todd Bowles should still be a head coach right now and uh and there's hundreds of cases like that it's um that's alarming though i i didn't realize he had 12 interviews before he had his first time head coach that is eye-opening Yeah, I thought these were, it was a pretty interesting report overall, but that was one of the statistics that really stood out. And I think the reality is this is true in a lot of workplaces across America and the spotlight and the pressure has been put on the NFL to fix this largely because 70% of their, their workforce of players is, are black players. So, you know, it's the, the failures of the hiring system are even more egregious in that sense. Um, because you have the majority of your workforce is black, but you have few candidates in high, highest leadership roles. But I think a lot of workforces are, are facing this, a lot of workplaces, and are just not doing enough. So hopefully the pressure that the NFL is facing uh, carries over uh, into pressure in a lot of other workplaces too. Well, well put. As always, um, the French consensus is always uh, – bring to light something that I think we we owe some more attention to. And this is one of those things where, too, it's so frustrating because uh, it wasn't this past Super Bowl, but it was the one before where Roger Goodell came out and said, I have a plan, and this is my plan, and this is what we're going to do. And if if anything, the owners have almost doubled down on their old ways. Like, this offseason isn't going to get a ton of press for – um, the way it went down because, you know, in a lot of ways there wasn't as gross of an example as maybe the Raiders hiring John Gruden, but a lot of this stuff happened that way. I mean, the ran, uh, you know, the, the chargers came out and basically said that they had their guy all along, that they knew that they were going to hire Brandon Staley, which is a point that you've, uh, you've brought up on the podcast before. And, uh, you know, it seems like a lot of these hires were 
made awful quickly um, and uh, just didn't feel like they followed that uh, that entire thing. And, and nobody's asking anybody um, to hi- just, oh, just hire a person of color, like, you know, and then and then we'll get away with it. What they're asking for is is an open mind. And like, how hard is that to do? You know what I mean? Like, how hard is that to just approach a situation with the ability to change your mind on something as critical as hiring someone to lead your franchise? It, it blows my mind that that owners, these masters of industry, who you know read all these you know CEO books about how important it is to do A, B, and C, cannot go into a meeting without their mind up made up. Yeah, and so it's certainly an issue that will persist or an issue that the pressure will be on the league to continue to find, you know, ways to address in the coming months. It's, you know, this off season, it's just as front of mind as it was last off season. Indeed. Well, this was a full show, Connor, and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about next week as well. So thanks to everyone as always for joining the Weekside pod and, please feel free again to hit us up at weeksidepod at gmail.com. You can also leave a rating and review. We will be looking for Russell Wilson and Sean Watson in those reviews and be sure to shout out to you on the coming show once you leave your comments. Five-star reviews, we assume. The Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.